Everybody, thank you for listening to the Vessel Student Ministries podcast today. This is a product of the Vessel Student and Hyphen Ministries at the Pentecostals of Louisville in Kentucky. Uh, comment if your podcasting app there on allows it. Please rate this and share it with someone that you think it will bless. Our email is linked. We have youth classes every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We have a youth event just about every Friday. And so if you haven't joined us in person and you're able to, please come on by. We'd love to see you. We hope you're blessed by the sermon today. In Jesus' name, bye. Can we all lift our hands in this place? Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. The spirit is strong in this place. There's liberty in this house. But it's not the walls, it's your faith. It's not the lights, it's your faith. Jesus. If you don't have the Holy Ghost today, you can get it today. What you're feeling, and there are people in the house that have God's spirit inside of them. They got it one day. They repented, they reached up, they didn't know what was going on, and they began to speak in unknown tongues. It's not hard to let happen, it's sometimes hard to understand though, and it happened. And what you're feeling is God's Spirit is in them. It's not in this building, but it's in them. And when they began to worship and praise, what happened was, God began to move out of them and move upon you. We bring the glory now. It's not on an ark, it's not behind a veil. The glory's here because He's in you. And if you feel it and you don't have it, Yet today can be the day that the glory of God dwells in the house that is your heart. Jesus' name. And if you have it today, I pray that you let that glory out of you like you never have before. I pray that gifts flow out of you, that things you never let happen. I pray that you prophesy today. I pray that you interpret tongues today. I pray you let God be as spooky and as powerful as the Bible says it can be. I pray today we let God out of the veil that is our flesh and we let God be all that he's made us to be today. Jesus' name. You're all shut down. Jesus' name. happens when what we're doing is we're activating the blood of Jesus in our life he died for you and when you receive that blood through being born again you can stay dormant though unless you activate it It saves you initially and that's great and all but when you reach for God and you have a consecrated lifestyle these people in here you've dedicated yourself you've tried your best you watch you're trying to be holy and what is happening is is you are allowing what God put upon you in his blood to be activated it's through your life that everything that God bought for you is being released what you're feeling today is what happens when the redeemed of the Lord say so when they show up and it doesn't just come a moment that one day I got dunked in Jesus name and one day I felt something what you're doing is you're keeping it alive you are keeping it alive in your life. You'd open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. 
I'm going to read verse 26 through 28. Now bear with me. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to, we're going to pray, and you're going to be seated, and I'm going to explain what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28. If you have it, say, praise the Lord. There's one of you. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Good. Okay, good deal. Y'all, did you all ever grow up? I know you old-timers, sword drills. You know what those are? Where you'd have to say a reference. And now my kids would all get paper cuts. It'd be a bloodbath. We'd have to go to the ER because they're used to digital Bibles. It'd be, I'm joking, they're actually not. Have you seen our young people's Bibles? Their Bibles are legit. They got notes on the side and tabs everywhere, a bunch of scribes. It's amazing. Yeah. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Can everybody say body? And he took a cup, and this cup was wine. And he, and he had given thanks and gave it to them and saying, Drink all of it, for this is my blood. Everybody say blood. Of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to preach today a sermon title under the name of In His Image. But if I was going to retitle it, I would call it His Blood and His Body. Would you lift your hands with me in this moment and buy into what God wants to do? In Jesus' name, God, allow your spirit to speak and allow your word to come alive. I pray that we allow you to move and be specific and be unique. And allow, no matter what we're used to, let this be a special moment. Let this be a, a moment that peace is tethered and anchored and life takes hold today. Let this be a moment where altars are built and it stays alive. In Jesus' name, the church says amen. Let me explain what happened. You may be seated. Let me explain what happened in this story. Jesus is giving what we call communion or the Last Supper. He said, do this often in remembrance of me. What it is, it does not save you when you take communion. See, in certain traditions believe that something powerful happens here. What's powerful is the symbolism. It was wine that represented his blood. It did not become blood in the cup. It was bread that represented his body. It did not become the flesh in your mouth as some denominations believe. But what was powerful, communion doing this action could not save you, but it was testifying about what would save you. Because the apostles did not understand the cross yet. He spoke plainly about it. He promised it, but yet they couldn't get in their head that he was going to die and bleed and come back. They couldn't get that. Even though they had thousands of years of blood offerings, animal sacrifices, and he said, I am the spotless lamb. I'm going to die for all of your sins. They didn't understand that. And so Jesus used a sermon illustration called communion, the Last Supper. He said, this is my blood, and the cup was wine. But he said, this is my blood, and when you take of this, you will receive forgiveness of sins. They weren't saved, but it was prophesying about what would save them, the blood of Jesus Christ. So how do you receive that sacrifice? See, the Old Testament, if you've ever read the first half of your Bible, can be very confusing. A lot of animals are dying and bleeding. It sounds gross and weird. What it was doing, Paul said, the apostles said that the blood of animals could not save anybody. But what it was, was God was giving them a spiritual IOU of sorts when they sacrificed an animal because they sinned. God gave them a momentary grace buying into what he would do as a man named Jesus on the cross. Hebrews 10 says that he paid for all the sins after and all the sins before in the same 
obedience. When a Hebrew person trying to obey the law, but you know, they messed up. And so God had to give them grace. I know we're in the dispensation of grace, but God sure did give them a lot of grace. When they sinned, they sacrificed. If they willfully sinned or intentionally sinned, they brought a sacrifice as soon as they could. And once a year, they offered a big sacrifice for unintentional sin, meaning I'm just a sinner, God help me, that kind of sacrifice. And it shadowed redemption. And God was training them over thousands of years that because you sin, you should die. But he could taught them the process of substitution by blood. That something could bleed in your place instead of you dying. But the animal couldn't do it. It was trying to help them understand that God would come as a man and die for all of their sins. It was the longest Bible study God ever taught. And so how do you receive the blood? We teach about it all the time. You become born again. You know this. If you're saved, you told Nicodemus, you got to be born of the water and of the spirit. How do you do that? Baptized in Jesus' name after you've repented. Say, God, I want to be different. I want to change. You get baptized in Jesus' name. If you read the whole book of Acts, everybody got baptized in Jesus' name. I could take you, I could take you chapter by chapter. And you must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Peter said. They asked him. He explained Jesus. He explained they killed him. He explained that he was a sacrifice. And they said, what can we do? And he said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Everybody that got the gift of the Holy Ghost spoke in other tongues. That's a sign. That's a sign. It happens over and over again. The Gentiles, the Samaritans, that was the sign. And when you do all of that, you have what is called the new birth. You're a new creature in Christ. And the same obedience that you use when you get in the water, and the same obedience that you use when you reach for the Holy Ghost and you get it, was the same obedience that they had in the Old Testament when they brought a lamb and they brought an animal to be sacrificed for their sins. You receive the blood of Jesus upon your life. His blood represents redemption. All the blood in the Bible, it represents redemption. So when I say blood, I want you to think redemption. It was the moment you got saved. It's the moment you were going to become saved. It's when you repented and you were born again of the water and the spirit. And everybody loves the blood. Amen. But there's more than the blood. Jesus said, take of this cup. This is my blood offered for redemption of sins. You're going to be saved. You're going to receive grace. You're going to be saved. But then he said, take of my body. Now, I thought, because he broke it, you know, my body broken for you. I thought it was just about the body that was broken on the cross. That he was just saying, listen, I broke for you. So, you know, but, but I realized the bread in the body, there's more going on to this. That this was something harder is going on to receive his body. And why bread? Let me show you why bread. The Bible loves bread, y'all. The Bible loves bread. Bread in the Bible represents the word of God. In the Old Testament, they had the table of shoe bread, which was provision of God's truth in his word represented. Jesus prayed, give us this day our daily bread. He wasn't asking for a snack. He was saying, God, give us truth. Give us knowledge. Give us the word. So then Jesus says something weird. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is bread now too? What's all this bread coming from? He said, I am the bread of life. What he was saying, if the word is represented by bread, John 1 says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the logos, the mind, the essence, the plan, the will. And then that word, it became a man and dwelt among us, and it walked, and it talked, and it never failed, and it died for our sins. It healed a lot of people. He was the word applied. 
If I can get one statement in your head, Jesus Christ was the word manifested and he was the word applied. He shows you what happens when the word is cut loose in your life. A man can overcome sin. A man can be free if you're born again like him. If you have the body of Christ, you can live like Christ. It was the word. He, all the knowledge of the word. Everything that is breathed on this page was inside of him. Every verse was fully applied. He lived it. He never sinned. It wasn't just about the body he broke on the cross. Because why did he live for 32 years then if it was just about that one moment? Why? Why could he be, you know, he's 31, shows up, poof, full grown, here I am, chariots. And, you know, he preaches two sermons and he dies on the cross. I'm just here to bleed for you. Why did he live a whole life? Why did he only minister for two years? Why all the mundane backstage unseen time? Why didn't he do miracles until he was 30? Why did he have to grow and be born? Because he wanted to walk in all of your shoes. He wanted to walk in the teenager's shoes. He wanted to walk in the grown person's shoes. He wanted to go to work. He wanted to face every temptation he wanted to overcome everything he wanted to live your life before you so that when he died on the cross he could give that kind of life back to you it wasn't just about dying it was about living it was about his body it was about his life it was about the word applied take up my blood my redemption but then take up my body Woo! take up my life the blood is meant to give you back the life he had. But the blood can stay dormant if you don't take of the word, the life. How do I take of his body? The word, the bread. I soak this thing up. I get so obsessed about this thing. I rightly divide this thing. I become so obsessed about this thing. I pray over this thing and I go get lost with God and I walk with God and I talk with God and I have alone time with God and all of a sudden I start thinking like God and I start walking like God and I overcome like God and before you know it, I'm not just born again one moment. I am taking of his life. I'm living like God now. Take of my body as well. Take of the word applied. Because if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you, it will quicken your mortal body. Meaning, you're going to be free. If you walk in it, you won't fulfill the deeds of the flesh. You just can't be filled with it. You got to walk in it. You just can't die like him. You got to live like him. You have to take on his life. Be very, very specific. I love this part. Jesus had the best prayer life anyone has ever had. Wait, he was God though. Oh yeah. Yeah, he prayed more than anybody. Elisha lied. No, Jesus prayed more than anybody. Jesus woke up early and prayed. They actually got mad at Jesus because he was so spiritual, prayed all the time. Before every major miracle, where's Jesus? He's out praying. Do you know why Peter was on the boat? And he was like, hey, is that Jesus out there? If it is, can I come out to you? Why was Jesus not on the boat? He said, go on. I'm going to stay and chat for a while. He prayed in the morning. He prayed at night. Jesus had a prayer life. Before he went to the cross. He is calling out to the Father. Let me explain some oneness to you. He's calling out to the Father, and he's saying, if there's any other plan, any other way besides me dying on the cross, give me that. Let this cup pass from me, the blood, the pain. And he came back and prayed that three more times, cried tears like a blood. He was in anguish, but finally said, not my will, but thy will. 
It's not two separate people. It's one person with two natures. His man side was submitting to the God side. His flesh was submitting to his spirit. He had to go to his prayer closet and overcome the, flat, the will of his flesh. And I'm telling you, Jesus did not pray just to show. Jesus was trying to show you that one day when you take up my blood and you become saved, then you got to take up my life. How did I live? Every time I had a problem, I went to prayer. Every time I felt weak, I went to prayer. And when I didn't want the cross, I went to prayer. He had to submit to his own will through a prayer closet. And if God in the flesh had to pray to be all that he was supposed to be, if God incarnate had to have a prayer life to let all of God out of him, then why do we think that we don't have to do the same? Why not the body? Why not the bread? Why not the word? Why not the life? He didn't do it just to teach you a principle. He had to. Because all of God was wrapped up in all of man. And to get all of God through all of this death and carnage and confusion in humanity, he did not take an easy road. He was just as broken as human as you were, but he never failed. He never sinned. His humanity had to give way to his divinity, and he did it through a prayer closet. He did it through an altar of consecration. In the Old Testament, when someone would bring a sacrifice for sin, the blood, if they want to be hyper-spiritual, they'd bring a bread offering. Ooh, there's that word bread again. What it was, well, if, if, the, if the animal sacrifices represents redemption, then why the blood offering? We don't really preach about the bread that often. It was flour and it was unleavened. Unleavened means pure. It's the yeast that makes the bread rise. And the, there was a principle that God used throughout the whole Bible that unleavened bread represents a consecrated lifestyle. It represents purity. It represents, Paul said a little bit of leaven spoils the lump. He compared the church to bread and sin to leaven. It begins to affect it. It begins to swell it. And so when you brought a meal offering or bread offering, it was about purity. It was not about forgiveness of sins. It was not about redemption. It was called a memorial offering, meaning it was, hey, God, I'm still here even though you've already forgiven me. Hey, God, I just want to be with you and like you. It was a praise offering. It was a thank you offering. It was a prayer life kind of offering. It was, a, I'm already washed. I'm already bought, but I'm going to be like you now kind of offering. And it was, it was custom that you didn't give the bread until you already gave the blood. But if you really want a God in your life, you gave the blood offering, meaning that you bought into salvation and then you came back and you brought your consecration you brought your life you brought your heart you weren't here just to be washed you were here to be like him you now were becoming his image take of my blood and then take of my body Woo. first you get the blood and then you took of the bread and so God is teaching us this but you know, so Merritt, I, I understand, okay, you're being very, very, very deep, okay? You're being very theological. What does this do for my life? Okay, let me tell you what this does for your life. Because I'm in your shoes, okay? How do you apply the bread? It represents the word, prayer life, commitment, pray, praying like Jesus, being disciplined like Jesus. Okay, how do I do that? I love this. Gideon, the, the angel of the Lord is sitting beneath a tree, and Gideon thinks it's just a man. And he says, hey, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. But Gideon was like a loser at this point, y'all. And Gideon knows it. He's like, I, I am not who you say I am. 
And, and the angel of the Lord said, no, 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 you're, you're going to be epic, okay? You're going to free the people of Israel from the Midianites. God is with you. Gideon said, God is not with me. God dropped us out of Egypt and left us alone. Obviously, he forgot about all the sin and idolatry part. You know, we always forget about the parts that we did wrong when God, you know, anyways, that's a totally different sermon. He said, God has left us. And he said, no, 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 God is going to use you. And Gideon begins to be kind of suspicious. Oh, Lord, if this is you, let me bring a gift unto you. Oh, let me bring a gift unto you. He went and he killed a young goat. There's the blood. Represents redemption. Represents salvation. But then he went and he got some unleavened bread. He made some unleavened bread. And he brought it. And the angel Lord said, put the blood offering on the rock. And put the bread offering on the rock. It's unleavened. It's consecration. And it's sitting next to redemption. And then the angel Lord touched the rock. And the whole thing went up in flames. And the ordinary man ascended like an angel. And Gideon said, oh my goodness, God's in my life. It's real. I'm going to die because I saw God's glory. And God said, you're not going to die. And Gideon finally said, alas, God is my peace. God is with me. God has seen me. I'm telling you, something amazing happens when you get the blood, when you get saved. Obviously, that's amazing. But something different happens when you come back and you put your bread next to it. Something different happens. The fire becomes greater, and it purifies more, and you think differently. You can be saved, or you can be like him. You can be bought, or you can live like him. When you bring your consecrated life and everything you've learned and all the commitment, and you put it back next to the blood you activate the intentions of the blood because you know when you get born again you're a baby Jesus it says you're a babe you're not full-grown Jesus yet you got his blood and you got his image but you're gonna grow into the full stature of Christ that only comes through the bread because when a baby's born so much potential you're so cute that's wonderful and you know, their families, you know, they have dreams for them and commitment. And most families, there's integrity and morality they're wanting to pass on. But if that child becomes a dud, they didn't bear his name very good, did they? If that child goes off and doesn't obey the will and the teachings, even though he was born into that, he walked away from bearing that name properly. That is how salvation works, y'all. You get born into it, but then you grow into it. You are now a babe in Christ, but now you have to walk with Jesus and partake of his mind. You have to eat of the bread in the body. You have to take the blood and then take the bread. And there are so many people that get saved. And two days later, they're still broken and confused. And they think, we've lied to them and they think God's not real he's still, he's real you're just two days out of the womb you got to grow up you got to eat of the bread you got to mature you can't run yet and you can't be all that free yet you're not going to think right yet but you got to eat and be nourished and take of the word and take of the bread you're just born you're not fully living in his life yet my goodness listen all you saved folks, God has not shortchanged you. You're like, We're, okay, okay, blood, do, do your thing, blood. Activate. Miracle signs and wonders. Blood, come on. You have to live like him. You have to pray like him. 
God doesn't help me overcome anything. And I have no ministry, no gifts. And the Bible doesn't make sense to me. Okay, do you know that he went 30 years without doing anything? You read your Bible and you pray every day for 30 years. And if nothing happens at year 30, come back to me. If it took that long for Jesus to cut loose in his life, then you take and you be patient. Because I don't care how long it takes, he's faithful to you. You go pray every day and you wait on the Lord. I don't care if you're 50 and all of a sudden you become a prophet. It will be worth it. I don't care how long you pray. Wait on it. And one day, you'll be so full of the bread that God will come out of you and he'll cut you loose. Don't become impatient with God. Let him feed you for a while. And I got to go. I, I... Whew. Jesus' name. I gotta... Okay. I hear you, Merritt. Okay, that's, that's nice. But what about like being specific to me? I have a different, you know, different things going on in the Bible. How do I apply the Bible to me? Okay, how do I be specific? Gideon was told by God in the next line. I love this, okay. So the Bible says that we're all saved the same way. No one's saved differently. You're not saved differently than I am. We're all born of the water and the spirit. And it says that Jesus Christ, the founder and the perfecter, you're all perfected differently. Because, you know, when we get really spooky and spiritual, we'll all have different gifts of the Spirit. And I may not have your gift, and you may not have my gift. And so the perfection process will be different. Noah was saved the same way as Abraham, but Noah had a boat. Abraham had a son in the wilderness. Daniel had a lion's den. They're all founded the same way, but they're all perfected the same way. Meaning that you got to let God be specific to you and clear with you. you got to let God work on your life. Okay? perfects you differently we're so scared of being extra biblical that we don't let God be specific to us and so we stay uniquely bound if you let God get up on your business he will fix your business but we generalize God out of devotion and we just say well we're all saved no you have to maybe have your lion's den and I may have my ark I'm gonna come back to that so you know God is very practical very 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 practical the very next line he told Gideon, you know, before I can free your people from the Midianites, I want you to go tear, go tear down your daddy's altar unto Asheroth. Because God knew if I'm going to fix the problems on the outside, i got to fix the problems on the inside. Before I can free them from outward problems, i got to get the pain out of their home, out of their heart, out of their family. And so if I tear down this altar with Gideon, I start the rebellion. It was starting freedom. It was an illustration of salvation, okay? He said, Gideon, I want you to take two oxen, and I want you to tear down the, the, the idol of wood to Asheroth. And once you tear it down, I want you to build out of the remnants of that wood an altar unto me. Ooh. And I want you to take, you know that oxen that I used to tear down your problem, Gideon? I want you to give it to me in praise and sacrifice. What was happening here, don't miss how powerful this is. The very thing that God used to tear down Gideon's obstacle was the very same thing that God then asked for to be given in praise and devotion. What I'm telling you is this, is that God does not ask you to give things arbitrarily. God doesn't say thank you for your gift and he says and he pushes it behind the corner. He takes what you've given him and he uses that very same thing to bless you. What I'm telling you is this. If you have pain in your finances, you give God the ten, the best, the tithe, and God doesn't waste it. He takes it, turns it around, and blesses you in the same area. What you gave him in worship, he gives you back as a tool to free you, change you, and deliver you. 
Well, I have no clarity in my life. My life is so messed up. Give God an hour a day, every day, and watch how clear your life becomes. But Mary, I have no time. Mary, I have no money. If you give to God from where you are weak, God comes back and makes you strong. If you're hurting in that area, give to God from it. Because when you give, it's an invitation for God to come fix it. Well, Merit, I worship on Sunday, but I'm not free. You have to build a prayer life because God blesses you where you give from. God blesses you where you plant it. Praise on Sunday is not like prayer on Monday. You have to give from where you're weak, and God comes back and makes you strong. We give so much from where we're strong, and we think God's going to carry that over and fix us where we're weak. No, no, no. Plant the seed where you are barren, and God will birth life in your life. Very specific. The very same thing he used to tear it down is the very same thing he used. You never understood prayer? Never said tithing, never said anything. That's how God works. And God will get more specific and more unique and more honest with you. Because the Bible says that when you get the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God helps you understand the mind of God. Meaning, it said the Bible is foolishness to man. They can't understand his will. But when you get baptized and you bear his name and you get his spirit, it's saying that people that are born again will see this book differently than people that are not. I don't care how much they love Jesus. If they don't have his mind, they cannot see the truth. And so when you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to see this thing differently. Give it time, but he will begin to speak. The Spirit moved upon the face of the deep. But then it reached and it used the Word, and it spoke the Word, and then there was form, and then there was life. See, the Holy Ghost is meant to reach for the Word and make it apply in a way it couldn't before. That's what happens. Well, Mary, I don't want to be extra biblical. No, be submitted to your pastor. Don't disobey this word. And you let God be as specific as he wants to be. I don't care how crazy your convictions are. It's your life. It's your problems. It's your freedom. You build a bridge. You, you cut a fence. You do what you got to do. You build your altar. Let God be specific and perfect you. His spirit will lead you. You pray every day. And if crazy thoughts do come, which they will, you talk it over with him, you work it out, you go on your day, and you wait and let God perfect you. We're so scared of taking a wrong turn that we don't walk this walk with God. Jesus' name. We turn pastors back into priests because we're afraid that we can't walk with God specifically ourselves. Jesus' name. And my favorite story in the Bible illustrates this. My fa- You're going to think I'm weird because this is my favorite story in the Bible. I mean my absolute favorite. There's a man of God, and Israel, the people have split because of Solomon and sin. And so you have Israel, and they're the estranged wife. Okay, God's not tight with them right now. Then you have Judah, they're the spiritual ones. God is close to them. And then God tells a man of God from Judah, go to Jerusalem, or go, go to Israel, rather. Go to Samaria, and I want you to convict the king of Israel because he's worshiping idols. But he gave him a a special conviction. You shall not eat or drink water in Israel. Okay, that's not a salvational tenet. That's not commandment number 11. You know, Jesus ate and drank with sinners. Okay, you know, a lot of of apostles, a lot of prophets found themselves in unlikely, unholy places. And they had to stop for a snack. Okay, it wasn't a salvational commandment. 
But this was unique to this man. I don't know. God doesn't explain why. He doesn't have to. It's not for me. It's for this man. It's for his calling, his dreams, and his weaknesses. And so the man walks into Israel. I can't eat or drink. It's probably a long trip, y'all. He is parched and he is hungry, but he is committed. And so he's walking, probably hangry at this point. My blood sugar would be so low. I wouldn't do anything for God at this point. Give me a cracker and a bottle of water. Goodness, I can't save anybody. And so he's walking. You can't eat bread, and you, you can't stop for water. You, you can't do anything. He goes up to the king of Israel, and he sees the altar unto idols. He begins to feel spiritual, begins to prophesy. And he says that bones of your false priests will be burned on you one day. And the altar splits in two. It was miraculous. And the king of Israel says, seize that man. And when he points his finger at the man of God, his hand shrivels up in leprosy. Well, then it gets real awkward because he repents. And the very same man of God he tried to hurt has to heal him. Awkward. And so the, 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 the king, he's re repentive now. He feels bad. You know, leprosy will do that to you. He feels bad now. He's, God showed me. And he says, stay and eat with me and drink water with me. And the man of God says, no. Well, well wait a second, Mary. We're trying to win people. Uh, well, I don't want them to think we're pharisaical. I, they don't understand why I do this. They don't understand why I live this way. And I don't want to be off-putting. So it's just one area. It's not even heaven or hell. It's just a pastoral standard. It's just for my personal convictions. I don't want to offend them. I want to win them. God will never make you break your commitment to be using his will. God will never make you trust him more to be using his will. God will never make you live less unholy to relate and win somebody. The man of God said, I am out of here. God will win who he will win, but I will not lessen myself in the process. And so he leaves. Well, an old prophet stops him. Hey, hey, come eat with me and drink water with me. And the man of God says, I cannot do that. And the old prophet lies and says, behold, I am a man of God too. God speaks to me too. And he told me, you can eat and drink with me. Well, you know, that he seems pretty spiritual, and he talks in tongues too. That YouTube video was pretty convincing. Maybe my pastor's a little uptight. Maybe I misunderstood the Bible. And so maybe it's okay. They have gifts, and that God moves the way they do. They don't dress like us or walk like us or live like us. They're not even baptized like us, but if there's power there, then maybe so. I don't care how much they walk with God, how spooky they get, how much gifts they have. It will never make you contradict the bread or the man or the commitment. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I don't care. Balaam was a prophet, but he was not of God. Balaam spoke mysteries, but he was not of God. Be of the word and you will stay safe. So he goes to go eat with the old prophet. He sits down. He's eating. And the old prophet begins to speak as God compels him. Behold, because you disobeyed me, man of God, you will die. The man of God got out and ran away fearful, and a lion killed him on the outside of the house. And I asked my young people this question. Why did God not punish the prophet that lied, but yet he punished the man of God that got lied to? Here's why. It is no one else's responsibility for you to keep your prayer life alive, for you to keep your commitment alive. It is no one else's job to make sure you stay saved. No one else can keep you from backsliding. No one else can make your ministry or break your ministry. It's between you, the blood, and the bread. Nobody else can make you do anything. It's not their fault. You could have been wrong. You could have been hurt. You could have been lied to. But no one else is responsible for you. No one else. 
is responsible for you. I know it hurts. I know it's confusing. I know you looked up to them. But God didn't drop the old lying man. Because it's your commitment. Because they don't know the lions that chase you. We all got lions. And it takes different perfecting processes for you to escape your lion. I don't care if they think you're uptight or they pray longer than you or shorter than you. You let God speak to you. Because they don't know that if you don't get up before work, that lion's going to catch you. They don't know if you don't get that off your phone, that lion's going to catch you. They don't know that you can't go there and you can't do that because that lion is coming for you. Jesus name. I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to hurry. Let me, let me be very applicable. It is some, it's God's will for some of you probably not to pray more than 30 minutes a day. Because you know that when you try, you get so condemned and you give up. I believe it's God's will sometimes for you just to give a little bit. And God knows if you gave a little bit, you'd be free. And it's God's will for some of us to pray three hours because we're messed up. And we can do it. And it's, the, it's for our callings and our dreams. But me praying how I pray should not make you feel broken or dirty or less. You let God speak to you. Different calling, different dreams, different job, different career, different things. Let God be unique to you. You're trying to fit, a, you're trying to fit the wrong shape into the wrong outlet, the wrong key into the wrong life. Don't you compare yourself to him and me. You let God be unique to you. You pray in the truck on the way to work. You pray when you get home when no one's around. You give God 10 minutes, it'll make you free. You listen to your Bible when you can't read it. You let God be unique to you. You partake of the bread. There's no excuse to get the blood and not get the bread there's no excuse you can't be right and you can't be sensitive and you can't be whole the spirit searches out the depths of God the Bible says a depthless God you can feel the depths of a God that has no depths when that happens to you freedom will find you no matter where you are altars will find you where no matter where you are I have one more point. Can the musicians go ahead and come? And listen, I'm going to try to do this right because I know we usually stand and then we pray and we straighten our ties and we run down. But I feel such a burden for this sermon. So if I mess up protocol, you're just going to have to come, okay? Because I may lose myself in this last point. And I'm going to begin to pray over you. And if I forget to have you stand, bear with me. And as I begin to pray over you, do not wait till I'm done, please. Please come down to this altar and you make a commitment. Do not wait till I'm done praying. If I say Jesus' name, you've already missed it. You run to this altar and you take a hold of the body and the life. The Israelites were going to be given a salvational experience by God. Paul says that their physical journey from Egypt to the promised land is an example of our spiritual salvation. So as they were physically saved, we are spiritually saved. And so he invites Moses up on the mountain. He says, I'm going to give you a salvation. You're going to build a tabernacle, and you're going to build the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant would be this, this golden gleaming vessel that you could not touch with human hands because it had God's glory upon it. And if you carried the Ark into battle, you'd win. If you left it home, you would lose. And his presence would be behind the veil. He was teaching them how to build a church. He was going to make priests and ministries and callings. He was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. God carved it with his hands, the tablets. Wrote on it with his finger. What it was, it was a salvational blood kind of experience 
And so Moses had to carry down the Ten Commandments because they're a token of this new salvation. There's be priests. And the Ark of the Covenant will have God's glory. What the Ark of the Covenant represented was congregational glory. It's what you and I feel when we worship together. They all walked with the Ark and the glory moved. And so Moses did not keep alive what God gave him in his presence. He couldn't build what God wanted him to build in his life and those around him. Moses comes down the mountain freshly hand God carved tablets of truth and the plans for this church and he sees that the people of God have worshipped a false idol. He gets mad and he breaks the token of his salvation. You can't judge Moses too harshly though because you and I do the same thing. Someone gets saved and three days later they fall to the same thing. You and I, we pray through on Monday and on Tuesday we're falling to the same thought. There goes peace broken. There goes life broken. There goes freedom broken. And we have a hard time getting what the blood gave us at Sunday and keeping it alive long enough to get to the next Sunday. You find in the moment you repented of your sins. That's your, that's your blood offering. You've, he forgave you. But you can't seem to get what he gave you, the token of it, this change to stay alive. Why can't I stay alive and let the blood do its work? God said, I'm going to kill them all. Moses said, please don't kill them all. God said, then fine, I'll forgive them. And you're going to come back up to me. We're going to start this over. But this time, you're going to carve your own tablets. God was instilling consecration. God said, I'll write on them, but you got to carve them. And not only that, Moses, listen very closely. I want you to build a wooden ark of Achaia wood. It'll be small. It won't even be remembered by most people. It won't be impressive. But God knew that when he came back into God's presence and he spoke again and he wrote again, this was the moment that then Moses had his countenance stained by God. It was a powerful salvation giving, a powerful restoration, a powerful redemption. It was amazing. But God knew if I don't get Moses to build in some protection, he won't keep it alive. So now with this ark, this wooden, unimpressive ark, it doesn't matter how much Moses stumbles. It doesn't matter how much Moses fumbles. It doesn't matter how bad the day is. If he drops the token of his peace, it won't break because he's built in consecration. What has happened is, is he went and got some bread. God said, I want you to build some word. I want you to build some commitments. I want you to protect yourself. I want you to build in some consecration. I want you to live like me because you're going to have bad days. But when you fall, you don't have to break because you've built in consecration. And it keeps the blood alive in your life. Because God knows that we will not have the Ark of the Covenant. Glory. Whatever glory we have together as a body, the Ark of the Covenant, it is limited by what kind of private, unseen, unimpressive arcs you and I build at home. It, what happens when the glory falls is I didn't see your prayer life and you didn't see mine, but I brought in an ark that nobody sees. It's wooden and it's not impressive, but I protected my promise. I protected my heart. I protected my commitment. And because I did that, the glory can fall for all of us. I feel led to say one more thing. I'm going to have you go ahead and stand. Elisha was in the middle of a famine. And the men of God were hungry. And so one man of God went to grab some herbs to make stew. And he made stew. And as they began to eat of the stew, one of the men of God felt a pain 
And he said, behold, there is death in the pot. Death in the pot. That man had grabbed something poisonous, didn't know it. And the next thing that followed, I did not understand. I literally thought this is the most unpreachable illustration in the Bible. Elisha reached over and grabbed some bread crumbles. He grabbed some meal. And he threw it in the pot. And he mixed it up. And they ate of it. And I did not know anything about the bread. I did not know anything about, I didn't research it yet. God spoke to me. Because this is such a weird miracle, y'all. He spoke to me and said that that represents my life. I looked it up and theologians believe that. That that bread was not used by accident. That Elisha knew. The people of God were trained. They knew bread equals word, life. And so when he took of that, he wasn't grabbing anything. He was grabbing a representation of the life and the truth and the word of God. And he knew no matter what death is in my pot, if I put the bread in it, I will have life. I'm telling you, when you get born again and you have the blood, you still have death that will come back to bite you. You still have a sin nature. You still have problems. And you're wondering why the blood hasn't changed you. You have to go get the bread because the death in your flesh will kill you and all those around you. Ministries will die. Homes will die. Relationships will be broken. The blood gives you potential, but the bread kills the death in the pot. You got to get the word. You got to get the life. You got to get the prayer. There's death in your heart. There's death in your soul but you gotta get the bread and it will give you life right now I'm not gonna waste any time I'm gonna begin to pray over you and you come down in Jesus name give us life in Jesus name give us your life give us your mind give us your wholeness let us activate your blood let us walk in that resurrection let us think like you help us understand the word help us breathe the word help us see the word there's death in the home there's death in the mind but your word gives us life let us activate the blood there's death in the home
Can we just lift, all lift our hands in this moment and begin to call out to Him? Can you just reach for Him in this moment? Can you speak to Him without the music? Can you just speak to Him right where you are? Communion is not one ritual we do once a year. It is something you make a commitment every day. Right now, make that commitment.